It's good to see all of you here this uh, Sunday morning. Welcome to Woven. Um, last, last night, we arrived at about 9.30 p.m. Uh, after a full day at camp training, and it was really good. Once again, uh, I'm really excited about this. This is my third year going. I, I, I visited the year prior, so if you can count that, four years. Um, and camp is just such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, just to clarify... We, this year, are doing something new. Woven has woven expectations now. Our staff and our team, we've come up with expectations that we have of every student. If any student wishes to receive the grant scholarship, which we have, we have access to, um, if a student wishes to receive a scholarship, that student will, or child will have to meet certain expectations. And so after the service today, I'm going to sit down with every child uh, that is planning to that is desirous of going to camp, and I'm going to give you, for, on behalf of our staff, our expectations. If you want to receive the grant, we're not just going to give it to you. We have expectations that we'd like for you to follow through throughout the summer in order to receive the camp grant. So that's, um, that's, that's, that's uh, something I just want to clarify for camp, for summer camp. So we have been in a series called Soul Food. We started last Sunday, and we talked about the topic of hospitality. Hospitality. And uh, today we're going to continue this series and talk about a prayer of self-examination, a prayer of examination, a prayer of examination. Um, and, you know, Soul Food is not a series where we're going to, you know, I'm sorry for the false advertising. We're not going to have Cajun food or, you know, crawfish. It's going to be actually food for the soul. What are those Christian practices that we can undertake that will feed and nourish and strengthen us? Um, that was a beautiful song that we just sang just now. I want to be a Christian. I want to be loving. I want to be holy. I want to be more whole. What are the things that we can do to facilitate little by little slow but sure growth with compounding interest that we can grow uh, as Christians rather than sometimes like the market, it seems to be this kind of up and down, you know, you, you go up 50%, but then you go down and it takes 100% to make that money back. How do we get back? Sometimes the Christian life seems more erratic, but how can we grow steadily? How can we grow at this pace? What are the soul food practices that we need that will help us to grow slowly but surely? So last Sunday, we talked about hospitality and the openness therein. In order to be hospitable, we have to be open. Today, I'd like to talk about examination and the, pr and the prayer of examine or praying the examine. And if you look in your notes, in your bulletin, the three hole punches, you'll see in red, the woven prayer of examine. The woven prayer of examine is customized. Um, last year when I taught on this, I customized a prayer just for us. So we own this as a church. We can call this ours. And in different seasons of my life, um, I will pray this almost every night. Um, this is something that I will regularly do before I go to sleep. It's wovens. It's, I, I use it too, the woven prayer of examine. The prayer of examine is something that goes back. It's, it's, the thing about the soul food series is I want to teach things that have been ancient Christian. These are practices that we Christians have been doing ever since the beginning that identify us as Christians. That it's not just the fish bumper sticker that we have, but what, 
will make people notice in the workplace that you are a Christian. Someone was sharing with me just this morning about a coworker um, and how uh, she was beginning to have some problems and some difficulties, and he just asked if he could pray for her. And I think that's a beautiful thing. How will people know that you are a Christian and know that you are a safe person, a safe person to confide in? So the prayer of examine, the prayer of examine is a practice, it's not exactly ancient, but it goes back hundreds of years. It goes all the way back to somebody named Ignatius of Loyola. Ignatius of Loyola was the founder of the Jesuit order. Now, uh, I know uh, we're not Catholic here, but I think it's important for us to hear from the rich Christian tradition that goes all the way back to the first church. Ignatius of Loyola was the founder of the Jesuit order, and the Jesuits were not perfect, and I'm not extolling the Jesuits, but they had things that were very, very helpful spiritual tools, things like spiritual direction, things like imaginative prayer, and things like the prayer of examine. And the prayer of examine is uh, a five-step prayer. They're, uh, they're, you don't, I mean, we have, our, we have our version, woven prayer of examine, but you don't necessarily have to follow those words. Follow those words if it helps. But what a prayer of examine is, is number one, you can see on the inside of your bulletin, it's about asking God for light. These are the five principles. First, you start out by saying, God, help me to see clearly. Help me to see. Number two, it's about giving thanks. So, by the way, this, you can use this as a bookmark. This is my gift to you, a prayer of examine. Use it as a bookmark. Number three, review the day. That's why you do this at the end of the day. You don't really do a prayer of examine in the morning. You do it at the end of the day. And for me, I actually have to write this down. I don't know what in the world I did today. I felt like a headless chicken just running around. And I had to go here and do that. So I sit down at the end of the day and with a journal, with my pen, I just write down 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 10 a.m., noon, blocks of time. This is what I did. This is what happened. And what we do is as we review the day, we give thanks. And then step four is we face our shortcomings. And number five, we look forward to the day to come. We prepare for the day ahead. And so these are the five essential elements of a prayer of examine. Really, it goes all the way back to the New Testament when Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, everyone should examine themselves. You know, whenever every last Sunday of the month when we take the Lord's Supper, when we eat the bread and the juice, we should examine ourselves. And he talks about how some people, when they were taking the Lord's Supper and they got ill and died, and there was a sense that they were not examining themselves and eating without thinking twice. Examine for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. But if we were more discerning, that's the key word, discerning. And discernment was a very important concept for the Jesuits as well. Discern what's going on inside. Do you have any clue? Do I have any idea? So discerning, if we were more discerning, Paul says, with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. And so the prayer of examine is about discerning who God is. Um, I actually facilitated this for a group of seminarians a few weeks ago uh, here in Houston. 
And as I facilitated this practice, this prayer of examine, somebody pointed out that the prayer of examine, you know, I'll never stand in front of a group of people and assume that I know more than them. Again, um, forthgoing, I think I will always assume that you know more than I do on certain subjects. And one of the students told me a prayer of examine is not about self-examination. It's about examination of God in our lives. It's about being able to recognize. That's why, we do the, that's why we do the journaling and look back on the day. Because we live our lives and God says, I was right there. I'm trying to get your attention. Hello, I'm here. God calling, screaming, shouting for our attention. And we don't recognize. And so the student corrected me and said, it's not about self-examination. It's actually more about examining and recognizing God. So the prayer of examine proper is about recognition of the presence of God all throughout your life. That's why we journal. Not for narcissistic kind of self-absorbed thoughts. I feel like a tree today. Or I feel like, I feel airy. It's about saying, this is what's going on. Where is God in the midst of all of this? So it's very much about examining God's presence, but... But I also think there is a dimension to examination that we have to also recognize ourselves. We have to see, we have to see ourselves for who we are. And so if you, look in your, um, if you look in your notes, you see in red the woven prayer of examine, which has this element of looking for God in our lives. But it's also, it's also a little bit, heavy on the side of self-examination because I think that's important and I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. But self-examination is a part of this. So I'll read this or you can read it together with me. The words in red, the woven prayer of examine goes like this. Ready? God, I am grateful for today. As I review my day, what should I take notice of? Please shed your light and show me what I really need. Where was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do I owe an apology? Have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once? Was I kind and loving towards all, or was I thinking of myself most of the time? Forgive me for my harms and show me what corrective measures I should be taking. This I do in Jesus' name. I prescribe this now to you as food for the soul, as a daily practice, something to pray at the end of your day before you go to sleep. It's as simple as that. Just keep this sheet, and before you close your eyes, just pray it once. That's all you got to do. But there's more to it. But if all you can do is just go through the words, then start there. And here's, here's the thing. You see an asterisk after, each, after every line. Do you see the asterisk? The asterisk denotes a pause. Pause and reflect on what you just said and pray into it. So when you say, God, I'm grateful for today, with the asterisk, you pause and you just say, I'm grateful that, I'm grateful that I woke up refreshed. I'm grateful that I was able to get to work on time. I'm grateful that things worked out with that meeting with my boss. I'm grateful that I was able to get home. I'm grateful that I was able to be present for my family. I'm grateful. So gratitude 
uh, you can kind of take that first opening, opening line, I'm grateful for this day, and then extrapolate it. Does that make sense? So, and as much as you have these sections, these three sections, and I'm going to talk through these three sections. First of all, an attitude of gratitude. Secondly, an examination of desires. And third, making amends. Any one section can take up the bulk of the time. Does that make sense? Even though you have, in that third section, make amends, you have the most words, if you feel like you have nothing to apologize for, the gratitude could, it could be the longest, it could be the longest time. So you say, God, I'm grateful for this day. I'm really, there's so much to be grateful. Uh, we can spend more time on any one section. So the asterisk kind of enables you to pray and to expand more on, on uh, any, any one line. Any one line. So, we begin with that first part, the attitude of gratitude. As I talk about um, that first line, God, I'm grateful for today. I'm grateful for today. Gratitude is important, I believe. It's an important part of the Christian life. In fact, Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuit order, taught that ingratitude, ingratitude was the deadliest sin. Now think about this. Ingratitude. Ingratitude? Really? The deadliest sin? How? Certainly, it's, surely ingratitude isn't worse than murder or coveting or adultery or stealing. Here's the thing. Everything starts with ingratitude. Coveting starts with ingratitude for what I already have. Stealing starts with ingratitude. I'm not satisfied. Adultery begins when I'm not grateful for my spouse. Murder, lying, a lot of this stuff starts with what? Discontent. Discontent. If we live our lives continually saying things are better on the other side of the fence, we've already moved outside of God's, the God realm, so to speak, outside of gratitude into a place of ingratitude where I'm, you know, frankly, I'm not grateful for what I have today. You know, when Jesus talks about the parable of the talents, he says, I'll give you one. And if you're faithful with one, you'll get two. But if you're faithful with two, you'll get four. If you're faithful with four, you'll get eight. And in some cases, even exponentially, if you're grateful, if you're faithful with four, you'll get 16. But we start somewhere. And even if it's one, and I say, dang it, you know, I wish I was like that pastor over there. I wish I was like this person over there. I only have one. And the ingratitude for what I have leads me to burying my own talent. Well, this is, this is, this is already taking me outside of spiritual sight and into a realm of ingratitude, Resentment, discontent, comparison, complaint, coveting, cheating, stealing, half-truths, lying, adultery, murder. Ingratitude was so deadly. And friends, as I've practiced this more and more and more, this prayer of examine in my own life, as I end my day, I'm like, man... 
after I'm done with that prayer, God, I'm really, really grateful. There's so many ways that you've taken care of me and my loved ones. Things could have been a lot worse. I stand in front of you, friends, a sinner. Not perfect. I mean, I've had a good week. I'm not making a confession here or something. But the point is, I know that my life could be a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. I could have really suffered the consequences of my poor choices as a younger man. I really could not even be standing before you today, let alone even alive. There really is so much to be grateful for. And if you will just take the time at the end of the day to write down, 8 a.m., I was grateful. I was grateful that I didn't get into a car accident when I was a little bit crazy and cutting off people. 10 a.m., I'm grateful that I even have a job. Noon, I'm grateful that somebody bought me lunch. <laughs> so on and so forth. I'm so grateful. Gratitude really for, for Ignatius, and I think he's right, for all of us, is the beginning of recognizing God. And that's why for Ignatius, recognition of God was so important. The gateway to recognize God is gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. We will not recognize God if we're constantly saying, man, life sucks, life sucks, life sucks. We will not be able to see God at all. Because what are we looking at? We're not looking at God, certainly. We're certainly, we might not even be looking at ourselves. We're looking at somebody else. An attitude of gratitude is that first line. And again, like I said, that asterisk there, you pause, God, I'm grateful for this day. You can spend 95% of the prayer of examine just being grateful. And then, oh yeah, by the way, as I review my day, what should I take? No, I appreciate your lunch. You just breeze through the rest. If gratitude was the bulk of the prayer... But friends, have an attitude of gratitude. It is really good medicine. It really is. You think this is pop psychology. It's not. Pop psychology was something that was created on a talk show in the last 10 years. This goes back 300, 400 years to a Christian monk. So that's not pop psychology. The second piece is examining the desires and so you see, examining desires, those words, when it says, as I review my day, what should I notice? Shed your light. Show me what I really need. Show me what it is that I really need. This is where the examination of desires, I think, is really important. Thank you, Ethan. Examination of desires is very important. Why? I'll share with you a little bit about my life. Um, you know, as a pastor, I want to make sure that I am continually healthy, safe, that I live in integrity and can stand before all of you. I meet regularly with a group of men. These are my accountability partners. And occasionally, with my accountability partners, you'll see, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of a... a, a a private network and you know we'll bring in you know more and more guys here and there and you'll see some of the greener guys and they'll come in into our gatherings and we'll just share and some of the newer guys in our meeting in a group they'll be like 
you know, man, my wife. If it, if it weren't for my wife, I wouldn't have my issues. <laughs> if it wasn't for my mother, I wouldn't be here today. There's a lot, you guys are laughing, but isn't there, isn't there a lot of that in our marriages and in our personal lives? I messed up because I'm a product of, of my upbringing and my family of origin stuff, and I dig up all this stuff, and, you know, I, you know there's a, lot, a whole lot of complaining and talking about other people. And those of us in my accountability group, those of us veterans, we just kind of shake our heads and we say, you know, he's a greenhorn. Because you haven't come to the place where you've learned to self-examine. You're not able to see your side of the road yet. All you see, greenie, is everything wrong that the other person does. You don't see yourself yet. Well, I don't see myself. You know, she's the one. You know, and this is not just for men. This goes both ways. I'm sorry. I, I really don't. I don't mean to come across as sexist. It's not my intention. Because the point is, we are much quicker to point our fingers outwards. Little known secret that I'll tell you. Do you want the other person to change? Work on yourself. The other person will eventually notice. That's not me talking about my marriage. This is the universal principle. It always begins with me. Self-examination, contrary to what that student told me, says the prayer of examine is about recognizing God. Well, my pushback is young student. <laughs> it's not just about recognizing God. It is. But the biggest roadblock is self-recognition. Pastor, I figured it out. I know what the problem. It's him. Okay. I can't help you. Pastor, I know what the problem is. It's my mom and dad and the way they raised me. There's some truth to that, but I can't help you if you're not willing to work on your... Pastor, I know what the problem is. It's my boss. You might be right. That might be true, but I can't help you if you're not willing to work. Pastor, I know what the problem is. It's them. It's society. It's the president. It's the current state of affairs. I can't do anything about it. You're right. You can't do anything about it. You never had power to begin with. There's one person that you can change, I know, and I'm ready to change her. When do we start? Still can't help you. Still can't help you. But the moment you say, Pastor, I've got issues. What can I do for myself? That's when we can roll up our sleeves and I'd say, I'm happy, happy, happy to work with you. Because this is where the examination comes in. As I review my day, what do I need to see? What do I need to see? I was sitting once with the, the president of our denomination, and we were driving to a retreat center, and I was sitting shotgun, and we were driving in Chicago. And he told me, now Wayne, he's a much older man, Wayne, when you go home after this retreat, don't tell your wife, oh, I'm so tired. Don't tell her, oh, man, I went on this retreat, and I'm so exhausted, and I'm back, and oh, don't put my feet up and say, can you massage them? When you come home, and I was laughing because Gary tells this to all, all of the young pastors in the denomination. When you get home, tell her, what can I do for you? What do you need? And get involved right away. And this is somebody that had been in the race for a long time. What should I take notice of? 
Well, I'm not noticing anything because all I'm thinking about is me, me, me. Oh, I'm so tired. Me, I need this right now. I'm so I'm exhausted. I need this. I need me, me, me. Of course, don't get me wrong. Self-care, self-care is important. Sometimes we're just too self-caring, though. We live in a, a bubble of selfishness. So God, shed your light and show me what I really need. Show me what I really need. God might indeed say, you do need rest. You do need self-care. But we need to examine and go under the scrutiny of our desires. Examine, self-examine, examine our desires. And, I, you know, I don't want to make it just seem like our desires and what, you know, me, 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 it's all about a bad, negative thing. Sometimes God will tell you, you know, what you really need right now is just to be quiet and have a hot bath and just sit down and you need to listen. Maybe what you really need is a good thing. God, I really, really need to do this. Inside of me, when I was 20 years old, I, I think deep down inside wanted to be a pastor. But I resisted that call. And somebody told me, you're in denial. And I remember what I said, but Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. And it's no wonder that I went into this tremendous um, bipolar depression that season of my life. I was very depressed because I was suppressing even the good desires. Even the good desires. The good desires. So examination of desires is not just a, about the bad desires and the selfishness. Oh, I'm really, really a terrible... It's also about the good things. Ignatius taught that desires are the pathway to recognizing God as well. We recognize God, number one, through gratitude. Number two, through the deepest desires of our heart, we also recognize God. So listen to the desires. If they're bad, that's an indication of desolation. He calls it a desolation within us. But there are consolations as well, consolations and desolations. The desolations are the negative evil desires that pull us away from God. The consolations are the things that draw us closer to God, the desires that are good, that are beautiful. I have a desire to do good things. I have a desire to paint. I have a desire to rest, to be intimate. These are good things as well. These are good desires. There's a beautiful story that I'd like to share with you that I read that deeply moved me, and it speaks about desire in the context of vocation. And all of you are people, you have callings. You have a calling. This is the story of a man named James Martin, also a Jesuit. And he says this, A few months before I was to be ordained a deacon, now in that tradition, the deacon is the final step before priesthood. So he, he was on the path to becoming a priest. Before I was to be ordained, I started to get migraine headaches almost every week. And at the time, I was in the middle of my theology studies in Cambridge. Life was stressful and I had suffered migraines before, but never with this intensity. So I saw a doctor and after some tests, the doctor told me that he saw a spot on my results. He suspected it was a small tumor under my jaw, which would have to be removed. And I was a hypochondriac. So even though my father had the same operation 30 years ago and recovered, I was terrified. What if it was cancer? What if I were disfigured? What if, what if, what if, what if? 
Fortunately, my friend Miles is a Jesuit physician. That doesn't mean he's a physician who takes care of Jesuits only. He's a physician who's also a Jesuit. I thought that was a neat concept, that you could be a doctor, but also be part of a religious order. I think that's really cool. It's interesting. He was a physician who also was a Jesuit. Miles offered to arrange the surgery at the Catholic hospital in Chicago where he worked with a doctor he knew well. By way of convincing me, he even invited me to stay in his Jesuit community during the recuperation. What a relief. As he invited me into his Jesuit community to not only have the surgery and recover, I was grateful for his friendship, help, and compassion. On the morning of the surgery, lying on a cold hospital table with tubes snaking out of my arms, I was consumed with fear. Dr. Miles entered the room in his surgeon's gown, introduced me as a Jesuit to the physicians and the other nurses in the operating room, and then he left. A nurse stuck a needle in my arm, placed a mask over my face, and asked me to count backwards from 100. I'd seen this dozens of times in the movies and on television. I've experienced this myself. You feel a clash, a splash of cold water up your arm, and the next thing you're, you're, you're out. But just before he went out, suddenly an incredible desire surged up from deep within me. It was like a jet of water rushing up from the depths of the ocean to its surface. And the last thought before I fell asleep was, I hope I don't die because I want to be a priest. I hope I don't die because I want to be a priest. I'd never felt that so strongly before. Of course, I thought about the priesthood before, before I entered the novitiate and felt the desire, but never was there a time where I felt it so ardently, ardent desire. When I woke up, it was as if I had been asleep for only a few moments, and in my foggy state, I heard somebody calling my name. Since Miles told the physicians and nurses that I was a Jesuit, they assumed already that I was ordained, which I wasn't, and the first thing I heard them say Immediately after, apparently after this intense desire to become a priest, the first thing I heard was a nurse, a, a nurse, a nurse softly whispering in my ear, Father, Father, Father. It was a beautiful confirmation for me of my desire from the God of surprises. God saying, that was a good desire. And I want to honor that good desire. That is a consolation, not a desolation. I learned something about myself in the hospital, about my, about my calling and what I wanted to do, and it freed me from my doubts. This is why any of you who have doubts about what you're supposed to do with your life, younger people, what am I supposed to do with my life? Pray the examine. Listen to your desires. In the end, after the operation, I shared this with Miles, the physician who always combines prayerfulness with playfulness. He agreed it was a grace to have this eye-opening experience and then laughed and said, wouldn't it have been nice if you didn't have to go to major surgery to realize this? To realize your calling, it, re- it took major surgery to become aware of what you really, really wanted in your heart. It took major surgery. Does it have to take major surgery to become aware of what you really, really want? Listen to the desire of your heart. Set it before God. Don't think God is like your dad. Maybe some of your dads were like that. Dad, can I? No. Maybe not. Maybe not. 
Maybe you might be surprised by the answer. The third and last step of the examine is making amends. You think that this is the least fun, hardest part, and you're right. <laughs> it is. Where was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? There's a, there's a reason why I list those four emotions. Those four emotions of resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, and fear are very important primal notions to take notice of. Resentment is important because it festers and feeds and works itself out in many, many ways. A cold shoulder, a back turned. Selfishness, we've spoken about selfishness already. Dishonesty, I'd like to, I'd like to talk about truth-telling and dishonesty and how, how can we become people that are neither withholding nor embellishing on the other end. Neither withholding nor embellishing. But that we can be people that tell the truth. Truth-telling. Was I dishonest in any way? Was I fearful? Do I owe an apology? Have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once? We're going to talk about confession as well in this series. That confession, it's a scary thing, but it's one of the most healthiest things that you can do. Talk it out. If not with me, somebody here. Confession. Is there something I need to discuss with another person? Not just, you know, maybe next month or next... At once. Why at once? Because it could, it could, it could ruin your life tomorrow. Confession is like that thing, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it, and then tomorrow comes, I'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. It's a dangerous thing. Tomorrow is... There's something I need to talk about at once. Was I kind and loving towards all? Or was I thinking of myself most of the time? Forgive me for my harms and show me what corrective measures I should be taking. This I do in Jesus' name. What are the harms? What are the things? What are the amends that I need to make? And I'll close out with this last thought. How do we make amends? How do you, how do you make an amend to somebody? I'll tell you four ways not to, and one right way. These are four ways not to make an amends. I'm sorry for what I did, but you made me so mad. Don't say that. I'm, yes, I've done that. I'm sorry for what I did, but you know you did this too. Number three. I'm sorry for what I did, but I just need you to understand. <laughs> I need, need, need you to understand. I'm tired of listening and trying to understand you. Number four, I'm sorry for what I did, but I was so hurt by you. You know, there's legitimacy to that. I am not discounting the other side at all. But you know what a true amends is? Number five, I'm sorry for what I did and I was wrong. Waiting for the butt. <laughs> Waiting for the butt. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Where's the but? Where's the self-justification? Where's the self-rationalizing? Where's the finger-pointing? Where's the, let's be fair. Where's the other half to this? There is no half. I'm fessing up to what I've done. I'm going to work on my junk. You work on yours. Don't even say that latter half. 
I've got some funny stuff to say, but I'm not going to say it. Some good stuff, but I'm working on my stuff, and I know that I've got stuff. You do that, and the world will be a better place. The world will be a better place. So you can see, you know, this, as we conclude, this prayer of examine, it's almost the science. It's the science of spirituality, friends. You can hear religion, 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 religion. You can know the Bible inside and out. You can be an expert on it. But if you don't understand the science of spirituality and the science of, it's like driving a car that has dirty nozzles, dirty, uh, you know, you, Bennett, when you put fuel, fuel injectors, dirty fuel injectors, and it's not firing on 100%, and you're just stepping on the car. You've got a lot of religion, but the car ain't going. The fuel injectors are dirty. What the, what the spiritual science does is it cleans. It's, it's like fuel injection cleaners so that your nozzles can finally fire. I don't know if I, if, if I got that technically right, but you know what I mean? You got religion, but it's not really firing on all cylinders because it's clogged. What this stuff does is unclogs the cylinders so that God can finally come in and we can finally look outside of ourselves. Friends, I invite you to close your eyes. You know how he was talking about Miles was a physician who was also a Jesuit? My dream and passion is one day for Woven to be a place where you can be mechanics, teachers, mothers, physicians, lawyers, who are also Christians, who are also Wovenites, and that you live, even though you work nine to five, or watch the kids all day long, that you can have this rule of life I hope that we as a church can even establish a common rule that this is what we do. What does it mean to be a wovenite? What it means to be a wovenite is every night before you go to sleep, you pray the prayer of examine. Not because the pastor told you to do it, because it makes me healthy. And this is what wovenites do. Before we go to sleep, we pray and examine. So, quiet reflection. God, I am grateful for today. As I review my day, what do you want me to notice? Shed your light, show me what I really need. Where was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do I owe an apology to someone? Have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once? Was I kind and loving towards all or was I thinking of myself most of the time? Forgive me for my harms and show me what corrective measures I need to take. This I do in Jesus' name. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.